1937, Imperial Japan invaded mainland China in an effort to expand their empire and help protect themselves from a possible invasion from their northern neighbors, the Russians. Naturally, the Chinese weren't exactly cool with this, but they didn't stand much of a chance against the Japanese in the open plains of northern China. But what if they could draw the Japanese into an urban battle and create utter chaos, death, and destruction in front of a massive international audience? Wouldn't that just be the bee's knees? In this episode of HPH, we're telling you all about this epic battle and the absolute hell that it was. So grab your drinks, settle in, and enjoy this episode of Hunter Proof History, titled The Battle of Shanghai, World War One and a Half. This is Hundred Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. Well, hello, Chris. Hello. Okay, that was a bit much. Uh, hello, listener. I know you can't respond to this, so it's a little more calming than what Chris just did. Today we are talking about Shanghai, and this is the battle that possibly kicked off World War II in the uh, Orient, as some people might call it. I don't think that's exactly uh, PC. It's the Asian Pacific. And um, the name of of the source is actually Shanghai, 1937, Stalingrad on the Yahtzee. No, not Yahtzee. <laughs> no, it's not. There's no dice Scrabble? involved. <laughs> no, sir, it is Yangtze. Oh, sorry. There's a lot of setup for a really shitty joke. No, I love it. I love it. <laughs> but this is, a, this is a PG podcast. That's the That's type right. of jokes we got to do. I do. Uh, I love it because... There's a grandma laughing her ass off right now. She's like, yeah, see, I play that with my friends before we have our key party. Um, so there is some debate on whether or not this is part of World War II. A lot of historians think it is. A lot don't. Uh, maybe after we tell the story, you guys will have a better feel for it. I can't make up my mind. Man, you go to a Mexican restaurant, are the chips and salsa a part of the meal? Or is it just kind of like... It's there, right? And it happened. You you were at the Mexican restaurant, and there were some chips and salsa, but it was mm. independent of what the main course was. But the chips and salsa come first, so. Yeah, 100%. So this battle came first. Oh, damn it. You just turn my logic against me. Like, just looped it back on me, and now I have to mm. accept that this is a part of World War II. I guess it was a bad analogy, wasn't it? <laughs> it was terrible. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you think after 107 episodes I'd be good at this, but... Uh... I think this is very obviously a part of World War II. Yeah? Y- yes. Okay. Well, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see both sides of it. I really can. It's hard for me to make a decision. Maybe by the episode I will uh, have some idea whether or not this was a part of World War II or not. And maybe you will, too. Yeah, I think you're speaking as the listener because you've definitely read the book, so... Yeah, I I have an idea, but... I don't like to give an opinion until I know everybody agrees with it. Yeah, that was was also my thought, too, guys. Uh, (laughs) I was thinking the same thing, fellas. 
I do feel that. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, the book is Shanghai 1937, Stalingrad on the Yangtze, and it's by Peter Harmson. What do you think of the book, Chris? So over the last year, when we did World War I, we read a lot of war books. This kind of follows the same progression, talking about the battle. This is a very forgettable book. That That's my two-second review of it. It's just, it exists. It tells the story of the battle, but I was incredibly bored for the vast majority of this book. Which you will not be in this podcast. No, we are going to just tell this story with so many penises and balls and... When we get the juicy bits, you know? Yeah, that's true. We do. We We concentrate it down. Yes, it's wordy for what it is. That's true. Yeah, I agree with that. Our, yeah, we do concentrate it down. We're like when you go to the grocery store in the frozen section and you get the orange juice concentrate in like the little frozen tube. Yeah. It just kind of plops out of there. That's 100 proof history. Yeah, just gnaw on that, baby. You don't want to put yeah. fucking two cups of water in that, turn it into juice. Mm-hmm. Just no. Waste your time. You get all the flavor all at once. You didn't want that much flavor. But you got it. And that's this podcast. Too fucking bad. Here we are. Yeah. In your mouth. <laughs> that's what I told my wife. when she's like, it's, it's awful small. It's like, no, baby, it's concentrated. Really packs a punch. No, it doesn't. <laughs> well, it's not what your dad said. Bye. And you slam the door. <laughs> well, Greg, are you ready to concentrate on this story i mean i think i'll probably just add the two cups of water but sure (laughs) fine let's do it (laughs) although the battle of shanghai would take place in 1937 our story actually begins in 1931 tricked you got you again six fucking years we gotta wait yeah go all the way back to 1931 The Japanese were looking to expand their empire, and they thought that Manchuria was a good candidate for that expansion. <laughs> uh, Somebody says candidate. nutmeg, I'm going to go kill the president. Um, <laughs> Northern China was just chock full of coal, iron ore, and grain, and Manchuria backed up to Korea, which was already controlled by Japan. And that created a nice little buffer against any possible invasion by the Soviets. The Japanese took the region without much resistance and named it Manchukuo, which sounds much cooler and totally not like the name of a Pokemon. Manchukuo, I choose you! Bam! Oh no, Pikachu beat him. How does that always happen? Every fucking episode of this show. It's invincible. Bullshit. He looks so cuddly and sweet. Yeah. So unassuming. Yet he always fucking wins. Just like Jeffrey Dahmer. Or Chucky. <laughs> yeah. Charles Barkley, I'm, I mean. Okay, because I'm about to say, I would, sh- I would cuddle with uh, Jeffrey Dahmer before I cuddled with the Chucky doll. Because that thing never looked innocent and sweet. I'd cuddle with Chucky. Yeah? I'm still talking about Charles <laughs> Barkley. <laughs> the leader of China at this time was a dude named Chiang Kai-shek. When he began his rise to power in the late 1920s, China was heavily divided and each province basically acted as its own nation state. 
As a nationalist, Sheng wasn't having any of that. So he united the provinces and created a singular national government in Nanjing. Now, of course, we're telling a history story here that features humans, so you know this unification was anything but peaceful. Sheng instituted what is known as the White Terror, which involved the killing of thousands upon thousands of socialists and communists. You're looking at me like I have something. How do you Uh, not have a White Terror joke? Oh, fuck. You know, that's what they call me at the truck stop or something. I'm disappointed, Chris. I'm disappointed. I'm sorry. I thought you well, would have it. Yeah. Yeah. You've accused me of being racist so much that I see white terror. I'm like, no, that could be right. That'd be a typo. That's not what they call me at the Ebony Strip Club. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm one of the strippers. It's not because I'm doing something bad. Give it up on the main stage for white terror. And I come out there just rubbing my belly. Yeah. (laughs) At the the Ebony Strip Club? Yeah. (laughs) I get booed off the stage every fucking time. But one, one time, if I make any money, you know, they they give me a little little pocket change. It'll be worth it. It's like doing this podcast. You know, we've done 106 of them. We made 12 bucks, whatever. <laughs> You're in blackface. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> in the city of Shanghai alone, 12,000 communists were executed by fun things like uh, beheadings or being burned alive in the furnaces of locomotives. Ooh. That's a kinky way to do it. It makes me think of like a ironic horror movie like this communist train is moving so fast it's faster than any other train in china but how and why do all my communist friends keep disappearing hmm being murdered by the engineer and thrown into the fire very interesting murder train i'm sorry commie murder train coming to theaters 2022 if somebody buys my screenplay you say There are no hard numbers, but some estimates claim that millions were killed during the White Terror. Hmm. Typical. By 1932, Sheng was still primarily focused on forcing communism into extinction, but for the most part, things had calmed down in the city of Shanghai. By that time, the city was a massive metropolis that drew constant international attention and trade. It was known as the Paris of the East because it had a large international settlement area in an area known as the French Concession, and it looked like someone had plucked a city out of Western Europe and dropped it onto the Yangtze River. And it smelled like pee, and everybody was rude to the tourists, and it was kind of like a a massive disappointment. But once you got out to the countryside, you're like, oh, I can appreciate this country now. So Paris. uh, Yeah, just like Paris. Okay. In fact, the whole city was heavily divided between the international community, the Chinese, and a small Japanese settlement known as Little Tokyo. And going forward, it's going to be helpful for you guys if you can picture it. Uh, Think of a a backward sea, almost, and in the middle of that sea is the international settlement, and going around it is the Chinese and Japanese-held areas. So when we get later in the story, and some people won't go into the international settlement, you understand that's the middle of this kind of like hamburger that everything's shooting out the side of. Does that work? Is that a good description? 
It's a disgusting one. <laughs> but I'll allow it. Okay. Thank you. In January of 1932, the Japanese decided they wanted Shanghai for themselves. According to our main source, the Japanese paid some Chinese thugs to attack a group of Japanese monks who were speaking in public. That then opened the door to Japan, sending their marines into the city, specifically the northern district of Shanghai, known as Jibei. Over the next few months, the city became a war zone, with 4,000 Chinese soldiers and 3,000 Japanese soldiers being killed in the streets. About 20,000 civilians would die in the crossfire, and Jibei was reduced to rubble. Barney rubble. Fred Flintstone's best friend in cuck. Hey, Fred, you want to fuck my wife tonight? I'm going to hide in the closet while a bird jerks me off. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually, Japanese air and naval superiority won the day. International powers, pissed off that the battle was fucking up their trade, brokered a ceasefire. The Japanese agreed to call off their aggressions, and the Chinese agreed to remove their military from Shanghai and leave behind only a civilian police force. Hmm. It's basically military these days. I was about to say, I don't know what the difference is. These guys have lower <laughs> uh, rules of engagement, you know? They can do whatever the fuck they want, investigate themselves, find nothing wrong, just saying. Nail on the head, Chris. Thank you, sir. Nail on the head. Just trying to hook up with some of those hot A-cap chicks. Yeah. Yeah, we don't believe that shit. We just want to make up, honeys. Yeah. Oh, baby. Yeah, yeah. Goodness. Communism's never really been tried anywhere, right? It's never... Honeys and a nose. Oh, yeah. yeah. I believe that's the male equivalent. The male version of honey, yes. Ho <laughs> nose. Yes, because honey is Spanish. Well, yeah. <laughs> Latino honos, that's my name. <laughs> I mean, Jennifer Lopez was in the movie Honey, and she was honey, so obviously the male version of her would be Hono. That's a good point. Thank you, Chris. Over the next five years, both sides continued to build up their militaries, and they both hung around their respective borders going, Come at me, bro! Or their girlfriends held them back and reminded them that their dads were going to stop paying for their college if they got another public intoxication arrest. Fine. Fuck you. You're not worth it anyway, bitch. I'm going to do some push-ups over in the corner. (laughs) China worked very hard to modernize their army by buying up British tanks and hiring German advisors to train their elite divisions. And that just shows they did very little in the way of researching these things beforehand. Didn't look at the Amazon reviews at all. (laughs) No. They sat down. This dude from... Germany's like, so you guys, you guys good at war? I'm like, yeah, we're really good. We uh, we got all these new tactics we learned in the Great War. Oh, the Great War, you won that, did you? Have you have you heard what happened in it? No, no. Oh yeah, we won that shit. Fucking killed Fuck it, man. Yeah, we won. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So um, you guys want to buy like our our monthly plan? But it's it's cheaper if you do a yearly thing. If you subscribe yearly, then you save a few bucks. And I think that's the best plan for you guys here. China's like, okay, well, here's my credit card info. This this can't go wrong. And it didn't. Nope. <laughs> For the Japanese. It did not. <laughs> In little known fact, the chief of the German Advisory Corps was General Alexander von Falkenhausen, who had extensive military experience. 
including service during World War I. Even though he was a German general and it was 1937, Falkenhausen hated the Nazis and Hitler and used the opportunity to train the Chinese as an excuse to flee the country. Many of his fellow advisors felt the same way, with some being Jews that saw an opportunity to escape persecution. I did a good job. I get a reward. <laughs> there goes Greg with his clean Wehrmacht bullshit again. They never did anything wrong. They didn't even like the Nazis. They were just fighting to help the country. Yeah, typical Greg. Just, just doing my job. Yeah. It's following orders. <laughs> I feel like everybody that says just, like, that's not an excuse, it's following orders. I feel like they don't really fucking understand the consequences of not following orders in war. Like, yeah. Okay, you're dead. Which I'm, you know, whatever, but they act like it's just a fucking choice and you get to go about your merry way. That's all I'm it's saying. so easy to make that choice for somebody else. Like, you have a wife and three children at home, and they're like, hey, uh, why'd you follow that order? That's obviously... An immoral and unjust order. And I was like, well, I have a wife and three kids at fucking home. I want to go home and see my wife and three kids. Like, me dying? It's, oh. It doesn't really help them, you know? And a hundred thousand Jews is worth it, huh? <laughs> Don't you fucking turn this around on me, Mr. Twitter guy. <laughs> By July of 1937, the Japanese had developed a habit of performing training exercises and maneuvers near the border city of Beijing. And also, you know, developed the habit of drawing uh, anime faces on their pillows and cuddling with them at night, calling them their waifus. But, you know, nobody talks about that shit, right? Except us. (laughs) Yeah. We're the only history podcast that tells you guys the truth. (laughs) On the night of July 7th, they are out on one of these exercises near the Marco Polo Bridge. I was thinking of a joke while I was saying the word bridge. I'm a fucking idiot. That's a good idea. (laughs) That's a really good idea. I was just reading this book. I'm sorry I fucked up. (laughs) I was watching a rerun of Friends. It's a rerun. I don't even need to process the information. I'm sorry, Chris. (laughs) Fucking idiot. (laughs) On the night of July 7th, they were out on one of these exercises near the Marco Polo Bridge when they heard gunshots coming from the direction of a Chinese encampment. Funny thing is, at night, there's there's no lights around the Marco Polo Bridge. You, when you cross it, you basically have to do it completely by sound. It's like one person like crosses it and starts calling out Marco. I see where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> that was the joke I was thinking of that shut my brain down while I was trying to say the word bridge. I was like, bridge. <laughs> was it worth it? <laughs> no. You dig this entire mine, think you're going to find diamonds or gold, and it's just a pile of horse shit with a note that says, I'm so sorry, this is all I could do. (laughs) (laughs) The best I could come up with. When the Japanese got back to base, they realized one of their soldiers was missing. Hmm. Gunshots? Soldier missing? I think it's obvious what happened here. He was just deaf. (laughs) <laughs> he couldn't cross the bridge. <laughs> Never heard the Marco call out. <laughs> sign countersign, man. Yeah. He couldn't countersign without the sign. <laughs> He's like using ASL, and they're like, we don't even use that here. Like, even for our deaf people, we don't use ASL. It's American Sign Language, you fucking idiot. 
He's like trying to sign Polo back in the dark. <laughs> in the dark. Okay. To a bunch of Japanese guys. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how dare you call them all guys? Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Fair enough. Yeah. I haven't checked their Twitter profiles to see their pronouns. I guess they were all guys, though. So I'll allow it this time, but you watch yourself, mister. Or Mrs. Or you know what? I'm just making a mockery <laughs> of that shit right now, and I don't. I don't even mean to call it shit. God damn it! I'm digging a hole. <laughs> I do not mean to make a mockery of transgenderedness. Please continue before this hole gets deeper. Go. All right. Don't acknowledge um, it. Just go. Hashtag cancel Greg. The Japanese marched straight to the Chinese camp and demanded to know what happened to their missing soldier. The Chinese said they didn't know what the fuck they were talking about because they were signing an ASL. I'm like, what? I don't understand what the fuck that means. <laughs> and a skirmish broke out. Hey, uh, what soldier are you talking about? <laughs> hey, I don't know. <laughs> this guy asking about a soldier. You hear this? Hey. <laughs> 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 you hear this, Zhang? Oh, asking about a soldier. <laughs> Who am I? Yeah, I don't know a soldier. All I'm saying is, it'd be a shame if one of your soldiers wandered over here. I'm just saying. Now scram! <laughs> but they said all that in in ASL. Yes, it's very confusing. It's a very confusing moment in history. Well, following that confusing moment, that. You know, just a little bit of misunderstanding. It's in the book. It's in the book, yeah. <laughs> a skirmish broke out. Japanese reinforcements showed up and began shelling the nearby city of Wenping. When all of this was happening and people were dying and stuff, the uh, the missing Japanese soldier uh, he just kind of showed back up. Kind of walked back up with his hands in his pockets. What's going on, fellas? What are you guys doing? He had a leather jacket. <laughs> combing his hair back. Hey, I'm a social now, guys. Y'all seen that <laughs> pony boy? Somebody just looks around like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah. Everybody else is like, I don't understand. This is ASL. I still don't fucking get it. <laughs> yeah. This is all happening in silence. I just want y'all to <laughs> Frantically signing in languages <laughs> they don't understand. And uh -huh. talking about... A Braille version of The Outsiders, a 1980s novel. No way that's 1980s. <laughs> the movie came out in the 80s. I don't actually know when the novel oh. came out. I don't read books. I just watch the movies. And that's why I know it's exactly this moment when Godzilla showed up and started teaching us all a lesson. <laughs> well, it turns out that soldier had gone AWOL so he could go get some strange at a brothel. He goes to the brothel. The madame, if you will, comes out with all the, the different ladies. He's, like, mm. He's just sitting there pondering for a while in, in silence, you know, in ASL, which is just, <laughs> he's doing the thinking man pose. He's got the hand on the chin. The at, or what is that? Yeah, think, I guess it's just the thinking man, the, the naked it's dude the on the toilet. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. okay. The toilet, okay. <laughs> um, he's just doing that, and the madame is getting impatient. Because it's taking entirely too long. Mm -hmm. Then another gentleman walks into the same place, the same brothel, and he looks over and he's like, ah, oh, there we go. 
<laughs> that one in ASL, of course. Yes. He was just waiting for the right one to walk in. That's what took so long. And it caused this whole fucking battle. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. History is crazy, man. Yeah. Real history is crazy. Yeah. Well, it didn't matter that he'd been hanging out with the whores, the brothel. It didn't matter. He'd been gone AWOL. None of that mattered. An undeclared war had already begun. In the nearby town of Tongzhu, the Japanese pulled out the bulk of their troops to support military action around Beijing. They did so without really considering how shittily they had treated the Chinese citizens of the town over the past decade or so. Once the soldiers were gone, the Chinese men of the town spilled into the streets, chanting, Kill! 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 Which is weird, because it's English. Like, why would they chant that? But Well, they were doing it in ASL, so it's just the... Uh... <laughs> They do the thumb across the throat. You know, oh, like, yeah. Oh, you're Split dead. The throat, yeah. They just did that over and over. Yeah. It was actually very peaceful. The same thing my dad did to me when I was in my talent show and I, I missed a note on the piano. Just this uh-huh. thumb across the throat. That's what that meant. Oh, but if somebody fuck. was sleeping at the time, they wouldn't even wake up. So this was an extremely peaceful protest. Oh, okay. Because when my dad did it to me, I thought it just meant I'm going to stab you in the area of your kidney and you're going to spend several weeks in the hospital but not die. Because that's what happened. No, 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 no. Oh. What's happening here is a very peaceful... Peaceful protest. uh, Protest. Just like January 6th. Yep. Just rational political discourse. Yes. As I've been told, yes. Are you as upset as me that all of our trucker friends are parked up in Ottawa right now? This is fucking bullshit. What are they doing up there? They seen their Canadian girlfriends? Look, man, I'm not much of a politics guy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like anything political, it starts to really get to you when it hits home. Supply chain issues. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, these truck stops are fucking empty. I know. How am I supposed to get some boy pussy? Like, I went to the truck stop the other day to take a shower. No one interrupted my shower. No one. I took a fucking unmolested shower. (sighs) Joe Biden needs to fix this shit. (laughs) Well, all of your jokes aside, Greg, the Chinese men of that town proceeded to dismember, decapitate, and rape the Japanese women and children of the town. And not all of them to each one of them. It was like a mixed bag. They didn't do, like, it wasn't step one, step two, step three kind of thing. Thank you, thank you. Okay, okay. Cool joke. It's not a joke. I'm just explaining things, explaining history, man. (laughs) Feel good about yourself now? Baby, I feel good about me every day. Because I am beautiful, no matter what they say. Words do always bring me down, though. Do they? That's the only part of the song that I can identify with. (laughs) The Japanese raced back to the town where they beheaded every Chinese man they could capture, and then they raped all the women. Then they burned the entire town to the ground. You know, the nice thing about World War II is it's easy to delineate the good guys between the bad guys, right? You you can kind of figure out who's, who's who in this whole story. Oh, dude, Japan bad. (laughs) <laughs> Japan bad man Yes 
Well, they would be four years later. Right now, we're kind of like, oof. Neither one of you guys are kind of living up to our expectations here. Yeah, but there's still a Japanese man bad. Yeah. Because that's what history books tell me in America, so. Yeah. I trust them unequivocally. <laughs> Just like I know, that election was stolen. Oh, 100%. Yep. 100%. Wait, which one are we talking about? They're all... St- all of them. Fuck <laughs> it. All stolen, yeah. Fuck it, man. Both sides. Just blanket it. <laughs> Both the Japanese and the Chinese began to clamor for war. Japanese Emperor Hirohito's brother said, quote, The mood in the army today is that we're really going to smash China. So that it'll be ten years before they can stand up straight again. <laughs> What's this fucking Jersey Shore? <laughs> Why don't you have a seat on that couch, China? Tell me about your hopes and dreams. You want to be an actress in L.A.? <laughs> oh, I can make you a star, baby. <laughs> the people of northern China, likewise, began to ask Chiang Kai-shek to intervene. He was still all hot to trot to fight communists, but knew Japan was becoming the bigger threat. He just hoped to wait a little longer, because while his military was growing in strength, it was still kind of dog shit compared to the Japanese. The large majority of the Chinese infantry had no proper training in basic tactics and absolutely zero training in how to work in conjunction with artillery and tanks. Just a scant 20 years after the end of World War I, why would you need to know that shit? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Two divisions, the 87th and 88th, were considered elite because they had received training from the Germans, but most of that training was in how to use World War I-style stormtrooper attacks and how to build entrenched defenses. wonder why they picked the 88th Division. Hmm. Oh. Because the 8th letter. H. 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 Oh, Hitler. You're talking about uh, neo-Nazi tattoos. Yeah. This one right here. No, I mean... uh... (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a pinwheel. Damn it. It's it's two infinity signs right next (laughs) to each other. Double infinity. It's like double rainbow, but, you know, there's two infinities. It's multiverse. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You just run off into the distance. And this one right here, I I had a change of heart. So now it's a cloud with two lightning bolts coming out of it. (laughs) And they're striking the Star of David to give it power. (laughs) Okay. Just kidding. Just kidding. That's all lies. Don't want to hear that. (laughs) And this one means not welcome. (laughs) It's not a swastika. It means not welcome. (laughs) I don't know about that one. I don't know about any of it, okay? I feel bad about everything I've ever done. Well, in addition to their lack of training, the Chinese artillery, it was all made in China. So, you know, it was made with cheap labor that a bunch of Americans exported because they didn't want to pay for American manufacturing. And it was also made of substandard steel that reduced the effective range. And the guns were prone to exploding. That's what guns are supposed to do, technically. The small scale, I mean, the whole thing would blow up and kill people standing around it. That was the bad thing. That's not good. That's not the design. You don't know. That's true. I've never seen the blueprints. You weren't there. (laughs) You've seen the patent. 
I want you to do that after anyway, every continue, Chris. Every point I make on the history park, you don't know. You weren't there. Oh, I should. It's just complete contention all the way down. Like God, yeah, that's true, Greg. God damn it, I know. That's the key to a successful podcast, I hear. Yeah, that and the targeting disillusioned young white males, like Joe Rogan does, and females. Oh, yeah, that's true. Now, on paper, the Chinese Air Force was pretty impressive. They had over 600 warplanes ready to dominate the skies of Eastern Asia. Yeah! Well, they were biplanes, bought from the Italians, and by 1937, only 91 of them were actually ready to fight, and the only requirement for becoming a fighter pilot was being able to survive the training. Oh, and they'd be going up against the Japanese, who had modern fighters and bombers flown by trained crews who would be supporting a well-trained infantry equipped with big artillery pieces in a navy that put the Chinese to shame. But, uh, still, I feel like you had to like China's chances, right? Love them. Everybody likes an underdog story, right? Like the movie Rudy, which we're all supposed to enjoy it, even though Rudy was just bad at football. Like, it wasn't mm-hmm. someone, like, holding him back because they didn't like who he was as a person. Didn't like some sort of aspect of his ethnicity or religion or anything. They, he was just really bad at football, so the coach said, you probably shouldn't play football. Mm-hmm. And then everybody got him to play football, and that was a happy story. It, it's the same thing with China. Like, you know, it's like, you guys are really bad off. You're, you're not going to do so great in war, but God damn it, am I rooting for you? Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. Yeah. And then you find out that whole screenplay was written by China, <laughs> and they really tried to whitewash history. Mm-hmm. And then you talk to other nations around them, and they're like, no, that guy was a piece of shit. <laughs> These guys fucking suck. <laughs> Just in the Notre Dame locker room, balls deep in a hooker, saying, oh, yeah, coach gonna put me in. You know, line a blow off her back. He's like, Jesus Christ, Rudy. Practice football, man. <laughs> oh, fuck no, man. I'm going to tell this story. Woo! Joe Montana, or Joe Manchuria's like, no, nah, guy's fucking sucked. He's made all that bullshit up. You know, sometimes uh, the truth can come to light, but, you know, you do root for the underdog. <laughs> <laughs> well, to his credit, Shen Kai-shek realized his military shortcomings but he knew it was still time to resist the Japanese invasion, and he believed the city of Shanghai was a place to do it. Well, okay, he didn't actually come up with that idea on his own. He knew how to listen to the Germans who advised him to fight there. You know, just bring it on that area. Just focus there. And he's like, I'm going to be the hero here, and I'm going to do what you tell me, but I'm going to say it's my idea. Boom. So smart. Genius. So you get to the top. I've never topped. I don't know. Just power bottomed. What do you mean? I don't know. I don't. It's it's not important. We need to continue the story, Greg. We need okay. to okay. press on. Is pressing on part of being a power bottom? <laughs> no, shut up. Don't ask questions. Shanghai, which sits on the southeastern coast of China, was lightly guarded by the Japanese, and Shang believed it could be taken and held. In doing so. 
the Chinese would force the Japanese to divert their attention from the north. This would keep trade routes with Russia open should they decide to pitch in and help China. It would also drive up Japanese casualties, which might make them rethink the cost of war. And, as an added bonus, the large international population of Shanghai would get front row seats to a show of Japanese aggression and China's brave resistance. And they too might be sympathetic to China and throw in their support. The Chinese began quietly moving soldiers from the elite 88th Division into Shanghai, disguised as members of the civilian police force known as the Peace Preservation Corps. And they began building up defensive works around the city. On August 9th, two Japanese soldiers were driving up to the gate of the Hongkua Airport at a high rate of speed. They weren't allowed inside, and they were ordered to stop by the Chinese soldiers there posing as police officers. When the car didn't stop, the guards opened fire, killing two Japanese soldiers. I mean, it's just a mistake. Shit happens, right? You're just going to own up to it? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's like, shit, shit happens. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, you know what? The Chinese government, they knew that looked bad. And maybe, maybe yeah, they'd fucked up. Okay, it it happens. So... Yeah, they did the right thing, like we're talking about. They owned oh, up to Spike it. Lee, fuck yeah. <laughs> he always said, do the right thing, you know? Yeah. Never saw that movie. Is it good? Don't talk to me. Okay, I'm sorry. It's all right. Well, the Chinese owned up to it, apologized, and, you know, they did their best to avoid further conflict. The tensions are high, guys. We need to settle this shit down. Just kidding. Yeah, no, uh, to cover it up, they took a Chinese convict, dressed him up as a member of the Peace Preservation Corps, took him to the airport, shot him in the back of the head, and then claimed the Japanese had started a gunfight at the gate, and everyone involved had died in the shootout, including this poor little Peace Preservation Guard. <laughs> it's so fucked up. I'm laughing. I know it's an awful situation. He's like, yeah, we got this, guys. We got this covered up. We don't worry about it. Honestly, fuck that guy. Yeah. Yeah, fuck him. He was, a, he was a convict. He did something wrong. He was a child molester. Oh, you specifically. Don't you don't know that. Yes, I do. Yeah? How do you know that? His name was in the member book. <laughs> the Chinese Jeffrey Epstein book. Like the member of the club I'm in. But I'm infiltrated. I'm exposing. But he's in there, I'm telling you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's just like every episode of Dateline with Chris Hansen. was like, no, I was coming over here to talk to her about safety. Tell her. Shouldn't talk to strangers. This was actually mind. supposed to be a warning to her. A wake-up call, if you will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Sir, why, why'd you bring all these zip ties and duct tape? To show uh, her what could happen. Yeah. You know? Teach her a lesson. Teach her a lesson because she's naughty. Damn it, no! Shh, shh, demons. That's not funny, Chris. That's not funny. Shh, demons. It's not me. It's the demons, though. <laughs> that Yes. I can joke <laughs> about demons. They're not even people. That's right. <laughs> ba da ba 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 Well, the Japanese called bullshit because one of their soldiers was completely unarmed, and the quote-unquote guard... Had long hair, long fingernails, facial hair, and none of that was allowed in the Chinese military or Peace Corps. 
but all of it's allowed in the truck stop bathroom. <laughs> that in that Borat bikini. You don't even have to have like two arms. You know? <laughs> Just a long You can be in a nails. fucking wheelchair. <laughs> Still two legs in a wheelchair because of CHF and your mm. limbs are just so swollen because mm -hmm. of your unhealthy lifestyle. Yeah. You know, you used to be a, a dime piece. Now you're maybe a, a two, but <sighs> still got to earn a living. And <laughs> I'm going to help you do that, you know? <laughs> My wife's mad at me today. What are you doing? <laughs> Just bouncing the nose in the eight-line slot machine and looks over and and you're running your tongue around the, the edge of a Snapple bottle, winking at him. He knows what's up. <laughs> what? <laughs> yep. Eight line slot. You actually lived this life. I'm just a pretender. <laughs> I don't know what an eight line slot machine is. It's just the, the, the gas station slot machines where you mm, win tickets mm. for credits. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> well, this dead guard was also incredibly emaciated and looked like he had, well, I don't know. Maybe he spent several years wasting away in a Chinese prison. There was also the big question of how he had killed two Japanese soldiers and also died in the shootout when he was shot in the back of the head. And I think what happened was he saw them come and he told them to halt and they didn't stop. So he turned and he put the gun between his legs, like a rifle between his legs, like a horsey. And he started trying to gallop away <laughs> because he, he's mentally challenged. Um, and it went off unexpectedly and hit one of the guards and the other guards like, what the shit? What is this? So he starts shooting. And at the same time, it goes off again and that guy shoots and it's like instantaneous double kill, you know, like hits him in the back of the head as he's galloping away on his rifle horsey. At least that's what I would have come up with on the spot. Stupid yeah. Chinese people. Yeah. Fucking Dexter Morgan over here. <laughs> That show's had two endings, and they're both terrible. They had a chance to redo it, and, and they fucked it up. Just like my marriage. Well, Japan realized some bullshittery was being performed by the Chinese. and demanded that the Peace Preservation Corps take down their defenses and get the fuck out of Shanghai, while simultaneously moving more troops into the city to support the Japanese's meager garrison of 2,500 Marines. China immediately went to the foreign press and said, Hey, bros, look, look, they're kicking us out of the city and taking it over. Look how aggressive they're being, right? I mean, I'm just an honest businessman. Just here to collect your trash and tell you it'd be a shame if something happened to your, your business here. If it's burned down, I don't know. Just say it. Is that your Italian? That's my uh, Chinese, obviously. Okay. Stupid. <laughs> Talking about Chinese people. Either one, it's fucking awful. <laughs> that same day, Japan moved ships into the Wangpu River, which ran straight through the middle of Shanghai, and the foreign press was like, OMG, they are super aggressive. Shanghai Shek twirled the end of his curly mustache, called them all fools, and ordered General Zhang Zhizhong to move the 20,000 troops that made up the 87th and 88th Divisions into Shanghai. Tensions continued to rise over August 11th and 12th. Both the Japanese and the Chinese accused the other of attempting to start a war 
and both made demands that they knew the other side would never accept. Shang told General Zheng Zhizhong that he could not attack until the Japanese fired the first shot, but Zhizhong's subordinates were war-horny and kept asking to go to war even if they had to dress up a few Muslim civilians as Japanese and stage another fake shootout. Zhizhong refused to disobey Shang, but begged for permission to attack on August 13th. Shang told him to hold off. Fake peace talks raged the night of the 12th and into the morning of Friday the 13th. At around 9 a.m. that morning, Japanese soldiers disguised as civilian thugs showed up at barricades manned by the Chinese soldiers disguised as civilian police officers. The thugs, quote-unquote, began to taunt and jeer at the officers, quote-unquote, prompting the officers to fire their guns into the air as warning shots. The Japanese fired back at the officers, aiming to kill. A gunfight erupted and skirmishes spread throughout the city. Chinese commanders ordered their soldiers to begin probing the Japanese defenses, while the Japanese raced to try and take key positions throughout the northern part of the city. That night, as a massive storm blew in, Chiang Kai-shek ordered Zhang Zhizhong to launch his all-out attack on the Japanese. The Battle of Shanghai had officially begun. Oh, 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 shit! Oh, shit. Here we go, fellas. Here we go. First Battle of World War II. And they're like, what? What does that mean? You know, it's, it's Stalingrad on the Yangtze. What the fuck does that mean? What, what are you talking about right now? You'll find out. <laughs> it's something from the future. Don't worry about it, bro. Your kids are going to love it. <laughs> oh, I guess that's a, a place to break this story in a half. Just snap it off in two. And then uh, come back and, Greg, you can tell people about the actual fighting in the streets of Shanghai. Ah, the old Chinese finger trap. I gotcha. That's what they called it. All right, we are back from break. Hope you enjoyed it. Greg, while I was on break, I ran into someone who knows a little bit about this battle, was there. He asked to come on. I said, okay, well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Maybe this will be edited out, but we don't usually do guests on this show. We usually keep it just you and me, but I mean, he was there. He was at the battle, so he wanted to join us. So, uh, uh, sir, if you want to come up here. Hey, Greg, you stupid son of a bitch. <laughs> Uh, hello, Hambone. Hey, how you doing? Haven't seen you in a while. Uh, I saw you somewhat recently, but sure. Well, I just know that I haven't been on this fucking show in quite some time. And I know while you were uh, doing your contract negotiations, I was conveniently way back in ancient Egypt, turning old King Tug to King Tug, if you know what I mean. <laughs> That is true, but you uh, you do have proclivities for that. You are not a part of this show. You only remain as a pop-in guest. So I hope you weren't expecting any money. Oh, God damn it. That's the only reason I do this shit. I gotta feed my habits. Well, anyway, I was told you wanted to talk about uh, Battle Shanghai. That's right. Yeah, I was there, man. You know, you know, there's an old saying. 
Ain't no head like Warhead. <laughs> Ooh, because, you know, that's why they call it that, because they're, they're it's ex- just as explosive. Yeah, I don't think Warheads existed. Yeah, that's the thing. You don't know. You weren't there, motherfucker. God damn it. I always question my authority. That is true. Yeah. I was over there. I was trying to get in the pants of them young Japanese soldiers. Whew. Tell you one thing. People back then, they didn't know this. You guys know it now. But uh, I didn't know this until I got in there. But those penises, they're pixelated. Oh, really? Very sharp edges. Okay. Cut my mouth all the fuck up. Yeah. Awful. Yeah. War is hell. That's the whole point of this. <laughs> yeah, I see that now. You need to reapply that lipstick. Oh, I'm a fucking mess. I know it. I'm trying my best. I've got back in the church. That's good. I'm you know, trying to cut back my drinking and all that, but uh, how's your dick hanging? And singing. Okay. It's uh, angle, brother. Uh, you let me know when it goes from six to midnight, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I will not do that. I'm a married man, Hambone. All right, fine. Uh, okay, well, thanks for- Shut the fuck up! Get Just shut your mouth! I'm not talking to you! I'm just here for Greg! Okay, God damn it, man. I invited you on. Okay, well, why don't you go hang out with Dan or Wolfdick or something? All right, you guys got any of them cheeses? Yeah, fuck. Okay, just get the fuck off my fucking radio. They're, yeah, they're over by Wolfdick. Ugh. <sighs> Oh, man. Uh, for our new listeners, uh, that was Hambone, the hand puppet that travels through space and time and possesses people and is obsessed with giving oral, but it's also, I don't understand. I, I, I still am not clear on the, the concept myself. Yeah, I don't get it. But uh, that was him, and he was there, Shanghai, and he said it was awful. It was just the worst fucking experience of his life. So that's what we bring to you people. Real life experiences. You got to take the uh, the hand puppet that travels through space and time. You have to take him at its word. Mm-hmm. His word, I, I dare say. I haven't seen his Twitter. I don't know what his pronouns are. I feel like he presents himself as a gay man, so. Yeah. There ain't no word for what the fuck I am, but shut up, Hambone. Get over there. That is true. That is true. Oh, I apologize to our new listeners, but, uh, you know, we got to bring the reality of history to the forefront. That's what we do here on Hunter Proof History. We bring the gritty truth to you. And Greg, you look like a man who's ready to tell the second half of the story here. Did the mustache give it away? <laughs> but... As all of our long-time listeners know, to do that, we have to set the mood. We have to get into the right headspace. And for that, we must consume our second half seltzers. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Three, two, one. Alrighty. It's a bubbly. Surprise. Well, Gregory, you ready to take us home tonight? Fuck yeah, I am. Let's do it. The Battle of Shanghai began on August 14, 1937, in the middle of a typhoon, and some of the first major casualties were civilians. As the fighting broke out, Chinese citizens of Shanghai fled their homes in hopes of making it to the international settlement, where they hoped to find refuge among the neutral British, 
French, and American citizens. Only one bridge connected the Japanese-held areas to the international settlement, and it was so narrow that a stampede occurred. Citizens would later say that so many people were crushed, the survivors were slipping in their blood and flesh. Two Japanese sentries tried to deter people from crossing by bayoneting an old man, but the people pressed on unaware that the area of the international settlement they were fleeing to was just as unsafe as their former homes. Real talk, I am somewhat obsessed with the idea of, like, human stampedes. Like, I've never experienced one. I think it'd be terrifying. And, and every time I read about one, like, you know, recently we had the Travis Scott thing. It just, it, it seems so fucking crazy to me that people don't realize to stop pressing forward. Like, they're trampling over blood and guts. They're like, nope, just got to keep moving forward. It's just so crazy. I wouldn't mind a puppy stampede, yeah. That'd be so, so much better. So much better. It would take so many puppies to actually, like, give me a crushing feeling, you know? Yeah. That I'd feel pretty safe. And you, like, you're the objective in a puppy stampede. They're all converging on you. And I still don't (laughs) think there's enough puppies to actually crush me. Right. Like, what is one puppy jumping on another puppy? There's not then a puppy jumping on that and on that and on. Like, I think it would take, like, 20 to 30 rows of puppies to actually, like, suffocate me. Can you imagine being the guy that died that way, though? I'll fucking volunteer. <laughs> Just for the fame, not because I love puppies that much. Like, no. no. If puppies kill me, fuck puppies. <laughs> but I would love a small puppy stampede. But I would, like, you know, an entry. I would love to be... Uh, posthumously famous. So I, I I will fall on that puppy crush sword. You know how, like, during the Super Bowl, they have the puppy bowl on Animal Planet, and it's just puppies running around. It's so adorable. Like, next time Travis Scott goes on tour, if someone just puts a puppy stampede at the same event and people can pay to be there, man, I would. Yeah, 100%. Right there with you. Over there is the real stampede, and people are dying, but I'm just cuddling under puppies. It's hilarious. I get that awful puppy breath and little sharp puppy teeth, but, you know, it's fun. It's not awful. Oh, puppies have the worst breath. What do you hate, milk? I hate milk and afterbirth combining. Oh, you're talking about brand new puppies. <laughs> they can't see. They can't see. I'm talking like you're not allowed to take them home puppies. Oh, like six weeks. Under six weeks. Oh, yeah, okay, I got you. Okay. Never mind. We're on different pages, but we'll but get Like there. over one, over one week. <laughs> like these motherfuckers can suck mommy's nip oh, and bite see. the fuck out of your finger. See, I thought all of them were fighting over my nipples because they don't know any better because they can't see. Yeah, I thought that's why there was a stampede. But uh, your your version makes more sense. They just want to play. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Duh. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just want somebody to fight over my nipples. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Despite the terrible weather conditions, the Chinese military thought it would be a super time to send their untrained, inexperienced pilots on bombing runs. Their target was the Japanese flagship, the Izumo, which sat in the Hungpao River, just south of the Japanese district. Because it was so cloudy, the Chinese flew at an altitude of 1,500 feet, but didn't bother to adjust their bomb sights, which were set for an altitude of 4,000 feet. They were also told not to fly over the international settlement, but once they experienced anti-aircraft fire for the first time, 
They freaked the fuck out and started flying wildly and dropping their bombs wherever the fuck they felt like it. <laughs> As a result, the Azumo was completely unharmed and most bombs fell into the river. However, at 4.27 p.m., two bombs were dropped onto the international settlement right on top of the Chinese civilians who had been fleeing the area. Minutes later, another two fell on the French concession, where the force of the explosions stripped the clothes from the victims and piled their bodies five feet high up against the walls. And these these weren't puppies on top of me trying to crush uh-uh. me. These are actual dead people. Poor humans. Human people. Yes. Probably not as nice as puppies, but, you know, more meaningful in the grand scheme of things. But human Yes, people. yes, yeah, yeah, humans. Probably a little more potty trained. Just going to throw <laughs> that out there. We don't know. I wasn't there. Exactly. It wasn't in the book. I can't confirm exactly. or deny you that. You don't know yeah. shit, Chris. <laughs> Over 800 civilian bystanders were killed by Chinese bombs on what became known as Black Saturday. And here you are making jokes. Like a fucking asshole. Now, the death of civilians during war is a tragedy. But it happens. For the Chinese, it was a double tragedy because they didn't want to look bad in front of their international audience. Remember, they had they'd goaded the Japanese into this attack here in Shanghai so that they could appeal to the international audience. Mm-hmm. Well, their entire plan of attack in Shanghai was hamstrung by this exact idea. Rather than go through the international settlement and flank the Japanese... They went around it and straight into the teeth of the Japanese defenses. Which doesn't make sense to me because there wouldn't be any defense in the international settlement. They could just go straight through it. Like, just just driving through, guys. How are you doing? We're in the Chinese army going to save the day. And you can play the, you know, whatever their version of America fuck yeah is as they drive straight through to flank the Japanese. We're like, no, no, stay out of that. Stay out of that area. Just drive around it. Just go straight into the barbed wire and fortresses they've built over there. That's the key to victory, fellas. Yeah, definitely didn't work out that way. The Germans who had advised the Chinese thought their plan was mm, mm, pretty fucking dumb. But Chiang Kai-shek and Zhang Zhizhong refused to change their minds. So the Germans came up with Operation Iron Fist which involved the 87th and 88th Divisions launching lightning strikes against weakly defended positions and encircling the fortified Japanese positions to put them under siege. At first, this plan worked like a charm, with Japanese taking heavy losses, but the Chinese found several positions they couldn't flank, and when they themselves attempted to set up defensive positions, they would be decimated by Japanese naval artillery. And this was... One of the big things about this battle was the extensive Japanese artillery, the extensive Japanese air control, Mm -hmm. not a good thing to the Chinese that were superior in numbers. So right now I'm researching a future episode. We're talking about the Revolutionary War going forward. Uh, And we talked about it in our Washington series. And it reminded this battle reminded me of Washington trying to take New York from the British, even though the British had the best navy in the world at the time, and New York is surrounded by water. Shanghai is kind of the same way. There's water all around this fucking city. 
There's a massive river that runs straight through it. There's one that runs to the north. There's one that runs to the south. Um, so the idea that you could control the city without a navy is just as dumb as what Washington and the Americans did back in the 1700s. Now you're you're flash forwarding, and that was the whole Chinese plan was to take the city and and dominate that militarily, even though they didn't actually have the equipment to do so. Yeah, and people thinking of rivers and what that means, like these are rivers large enough for like warships. Yeah, this isn't you getting in the canoe and and going up the river, <laughs> especially down here in the south, like in Texas, we think of a river as something that like you could literally throw a rock across. And then, yeah, yeah, and then like you, you read stories like John Wilkes Booth trying to paddle across a river in the middle of the night, and you you look at pictures of the river, and it's like that's a fucking lake, man. That's like miles across that motherfucker, and that's that's what these rivers are. Yeah. Oh, but what about the Chinese tanks and planes? You say. Early in the battle, the Chinese pushed towards the docks of the Hongpao River, hoping to cut the Japanese off from resupply. For that. They sit in their tanks by themselves <laughs> and with no infantry support. As the tanks moved through the crowded, narrow streets of Shanghai, they were easily outflanked and destroyed by Japanese tanks and soldiers with anti-tank weaponry. The Chinese pilots had some initial success taking out the slow-moving Japanese Mitsubishi G3M bombers, but were easily outclassed by Japanese fighter pilots. By August 20th, the Chinese Air Force was rendered completely useless. And I think a lot of this goes back to hiring the Germans to advise you. Because in World War I, the tanks were just kind of like sprung on the Germans. Like, what the fuck is that shit? How do we, what do we do with that? So when the Chinese were like, we got all these tanks from the Brits. What do we do with them? I don't know, man. Just send them to the docks or some shit. <laughs> just send them out there. They'll fuck shits up. They fucked our shit up. I what? What? They fucked your shit up? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, we had tanks also. And we knew exactly what to do with them. And we sent them out and they kicked ass. So that's what you should do. Think they bought it? Payday's Friday, right? Yeah. You guys, you, your credit card's still good, right? We can still have the subscription. <laughs> As a result of this, the Japanese artillery and aircraft dominated the Chinese. If Chinese soldiers were so much as spotted during the daylight, they would be instantly bombarded. This forced them to resort to only moving and fighting during the night, but doing so made them ineffective as a large fighting force. The battle devolved into a street fight where soldiers went house by house, never knowing where the enemy was hiding. For the citizens of Shanghai, things continued to suck butts. The streets and alleyways were littered with the bayoneted and decapitated heads of Chinese citizens who were accused of being spies by the Japanese. The Chinese similarly executed their own people if they had even the slightest inkling that they were working for the opposition. And of course, things like food and clean water were pretty much non-existent because the food was swiped up by the soldiers and the rivers and creeks that ran through Shanghai were filled with floating corpses. When it came to prisoners of war, there were no prisoners of war. Both sides summarily executed anyone that surrendered or was captured. The preferred method of execution for the Japanese was beheading by sword. One Japanese soldier would recount that he had grown up as a peace-loving Buddhist, and he didn't like the idea of killing. 
When his unit caught a spy, he was asked to perform the execution. He was hesitant, but his friend said, It's really rare that you get to chop someone's head off. It's an experience you can take back home. Sir, you should try it. That's a real quote. That's a real fucking quote. That's not something yeah. we made up. Yeah. In peer pressure, he did. Yeah. And uh, guess what, Chris? What's that? He fucking loved it. <laughs> what a fucked up sentiment. Like, hey, man, it's like you're at Six Flags or some shit. Like, you're going to regret this when you get home. You don't get on that fucking ride. Like, it, I know it's scary. You don't want to do it. But you're going to go home. You're going to think, man, I should have done that. And that's how they're approaching this. Like, you should have chopped that guy's head off. What the fuck are you thinking, man? You never get the. You're going to go home, be a fucking podiatrist, you know, live your life, singing karaoke, getting drunk at the bars all every night. And you're like, man, I should have cut that guy's head off when I had the fucking chance. Oh, what was I doing? Yeah. What was I thinking? Podiatrist, when you could have been a behediatrist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what a fucking idiot. Moron. Have you ever, have you ever lived? At the beginning of the battle, Japanese general Iwane Matsue was leading a somewhat less than impressive army. Pretty much all of the troops that had been stationed in Shanghai prior to the outbreak of the war were reservists. And not your typical 2022 U.S. Army reservist who's, you know, just young dude hoping to pay for college or something. In the 1930s, once you were in the Japanese army, you were always in the Japanese army. So you'd have overweight, out of shape, you know, 45-year-old proctologists back on the front lines after 20-plus years of civilian life. Despite all of their successes, these worn-out old fucks were taking a lot of casualties, prompting Matsui to request more help from Tokyo. I'm so glad I live in America, where I can advocate for war as a 40-something-year-old man and never actually have to worry about going to it. It's so great. <laughs> what a piece of shit. Oh, yeah, they got weapons of mass destruction, I'm sure. <laughs> Go get them, fellas. I say you turn that whole region into glass. Yeah, just nuke That's the shit out of it, right? Yeah. Like, dude, you know there's a shitload of innocent people that live over there, including women and children and babies. I ain't never met none of them. Yeah, turn it to glass. <laughs> turn it to glass. I mean, okay. God nuked Sodom, didn't he? Then he nuked the shit out of it. Oh, boy. Well, in response to this, the Japanese decided to land reinforcements outside of Shanghai, surround the city, and starve the Chinese forces inside the city. Early in the morning on August 23rd, to the north of Shanghai, Japanese naval guns blew the Chinese defenses on the Yangtze River coastline straight to goddamn hell. To all the people of Sodom. Yep, just nuked it. Fuck it. And don't you look back, Mrs. Fucking Lot. You'll turn to salt. And your husband can fuck your daughter. What? What is the Bible? Jesus I Christ, know, I just it's read weird. it and I'm so confused about the morality of this thing. <laughs> it's weird. Ah, the people <laughs> saying stuff like that never read it. Come on, man. Get out of here. What, they just pick and choose things that support their beliefs? You <laughs> crazy? No, they've... Yeah, it's like a... It's like a God buffet, if you will. <laughs> I love that. That's so great. You get, you get your plate and you just add what you want on there. You don't take what you don't want. Matter of fact, that's all poison <laughs> to you. So, yeah. 
It's not even like the fancy Chinese buffets that get mad at you if you leave a plate full of food on the table. You just eat what you want, baby, and go home. Just ignore the rest. It's fine. Oh, yeah. You don't have to pay the tab. Mm. You don't have to tip. None of that shit. (laughs) God damn, that's a perfect analogy. You just nailed... I'm giving you a podcast award. Podcaster of the year. From me. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you so much. I feel so honored. Hey, fuck you. I've been on this show. Shut up. Shut up. God damn it. Well, a few hours later, the Japanese landed on the beaches. By 7 a.m., their whole force was ashore, and the Japanese had only suffered about 40 casualties. Chiang Kai-shek realized what had happened and ordered reinforcements to be moved from Shanghai towards the beaches. They repeatedly rushed to try and defend the area, but were often pushed back. Some generals even marched their troops in formation through the rice fields that sat near the coast, making them easy targets for Japanese bombers. Chinese reinforcements were immediately rushed to the coast to replace casualties, and most of the time they were either dead or back in the hospital before they were even sure what unit they were actually assigned to. The Japanese were slow in moving supplies off the coast due to bad weather and a lack of roads, which allowed for a series of bloody skirmishes between them and the defending Chinese. The fiercest fighting during this period was in the vital coastal town of Boshan. Initially, the ancient walls of the city kept the Japanese at bay, and they suffered immense casualties. But their naval guns and aerial bombardments reduced the walls and city to rubble, and that allowed the Japanese to advance. Eventually, the Chinese force, led by Commander Yao Zijing, was down to just 100 men. He ordered one soldier to escape and report the situation to command. The rest were killed in brutal close-quarters combat the next day. So, I'm going to be honest here. I would be that one guy, and I would just run away. Like, no, no, he told me. He told me to get the fuck out so I could tell you guys what happened to him. Guys, we need one guy. Me, 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 <laughs> I've got a podcast to do. But knowing my luck, like, I would flee the battlefield as a coward and show up. It's like, no, he told me to leave. He said, go tell the people what happened here today, how brave I was. And then that guy would show up and like, where the fuck have you been? Like, oh, oh, oh. You guys made it. Yay. Yeah, you wow. did it, fellas. I didn't that think the odds were in your bowel. favor. I'm going I'm to go to the porta potty over here and uh, <laughs> we'll sort this out right when I get back. They hear you like pulling out your pocket knife, trying to cut a hole in the back of the porta potty. <laughs> Car speeds off to the airport. You hear the jet taking off for America. <laughs> yeah, basically that. <laughs> Samesies. In September, the fighting shifted to the area around Wusong Creek, which sat between the Yangtze coast and Shanghai. The land was flat and marshy, and the fighting devolved into World War I-style trench warfare. There were thousands of deaths on both sides, but once again, the naval guns and bombers of Japan forced the Chinese to retreat under the cover of darkness. The Chinese fell back to a defensive position that they compared to the Maginot Line in France, which was still considered a good thing in 1937, an impenetrable thing, if you will. Mm -hmm. 
much like I considered my bottom in 1997. But <laughs> we all know how that turned out. Yeah, just like my wife thought her diaphragm was and started like cutting holes in it with a steak knife. <laughs> She's going to be stuck with me at that anchor, baby. Let's get her. Jesus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Line has been crossed, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> She didn't notice all the serrated <laughs> holes in the diaphragm? No, it looked like one of those spoons that you get beans out of a bowl so the juice will drip out. Like it had those holes cut in it in a nice little pattern. Perforated spoon. Is that a thing? That's what it's called? I don't know words. Just a podcaster, Greg. I just talk for a living. Do you think uh, even half of our listeners know what a diaphragm is <laughs> no. in this context? No. A female no. condom, people. Yeah. Kind the of. The thing they, they shove up in them to stop your boy juice from getting up in the girl guts. There. Oh. <laughs> I wish I hadn't clarified now. Anyway, the Maginot line in France is still considered a good thing at this point in the war or pre-war dependent on where you see this as maybe we have some history idiots here what is the Maginot line Craig I've already said it was in in France it was the border so that Germany could not uh, impede on their territory again like they did in World War One it was a completely well supposedly uh, indestructible and impenetrable set of defenses where there's a lot of uh, pillboxes and cannons and bunkers. Uh, it's on the edge of a forest, and it's like there's no way that any any army can get through this. And they never would. I don't know why that ominous music played, but... I don't either. We'll find out in a later episode, I'm sure. Yes. But, since the Chinese defensive line was... Made up of shallow, hastily dug trenches, a small amount of barbed wire, starring Pam Anderson, and <laughs> precisely one concrete pillbox, it proved to be exactly as effective as the Maginot Line. You don't know what that comment means until a later episode. <laughs> That's true. And another true thing, another little known fact. The Chinese barely used their own artillery during the battle for fear of having it destroyed by counterfire or aerial bombardment. They finally masted at Wusong Creek and found the very few anti-aircraft guns they had were enough to scare off the Japanese bombers. Because of this, they were able to inflict heavy casualties on the advancing Japanese before being forced to retreat themselves. Imagine if they'd used it the whole time, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I also don't know. I don't either. Well, it was around this time that Chiang Kai-shek was losing his goddamn mind. He fired Zhang Zhizhong and replaced him with a yes man. A Jim Carrey? That's what I was thinking. <laughs> liar, liar? <laughs> no, yes man. Yes man. It's the movie Yes Man. He can never say no. Correct. It's liar, liar, but like 10 years later. Well, then he divided the theater of operations into three different areas of control at a time when communications between divisions was already incredibly difficult. The Germans were confounded and frustrated 
when rather than make tactical decisions, the Chinese leadership would have endless and futile discussions without anyone taking the lead and coming up with an actual plan. The Germans were equally perplexed by the Chinese sending their new troops straight to the front lines to launch offensives and counterattacks. In October, one group of well-trained reinforcements from Gangji was sent on an all-out attack against fortified Japanese positions in an offensive that mirrored those from Ypres or the Somme. Which, you know, World War I. Germany. France. Belgium. That whole thing. That whole little, little small conflict that happened. And, just like in those battles... The troops gained a little ground and were then completely wiped the fuck out by counterattacks. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers from Iraq. <laughs> like six people get that, but I'm one of them, so it's hilarious. Cool. The Chinese commanders knew it was hopeless to try and hold Shanghai. Chiang Kai-shek seemed unable to make a decision on his own. In mid-October... It was his wife who showed up to the headquarters in her fur coat and said that China should hold out for ten more days because it was then that the League of Nations was meeting in Brussels and they could plead their case for assistance. Shang looked downward and said, very cuckily, I may add, mm, Yes, dear. <laughs> we, we, it sounds like we're joking, but she did show up and make the decision for his bitch ass. No, all of this is 100% fact. Yes, just like the ASL around the Marco Polo Bridge. Yes, all of this. Definitely happened, yes. Slowly but surely, the Chinese withdrew their soldiers from the city. As their numbers dwindled, they went full scorched earth and burned down large portions of the city. Small units remained to provide resistance to the Japanese. One such unit became known as the Lost Battalion, when they held a warehouse in the Jaibei district. They became heroes when 800 of them bravely stood until the last man against Japanese aggression. At least, that was the story told in the press. In reality, it was like 400 dudes, only 100 died, and they fought for a few days before sneaking out the back door and fleeing to safety, you know, at the old uh, international settlement. But hey, a good story is a good story, right? Just like the Alamo and that one building in Stalingrad we talked about, the, the silo, where everybody mm -hmm. fought bravely until the very end. Except they were like, fuck this shit, I'm out of here. Just wait till it's dark, they can't fucking see me, I'm out. I'm running across the bridge, bitches. Mm -hmm. As the Chinese army withdrew, the citizens of Shanghai were left to fend for themselves, and the Japanese showed them absolutely no mercy. They were raped, executed in their beds, and machine-gunned in the streets as they tried to flee. Hospital transports had to operate at night because Japanese bombers targeted anything that had a red cross painted on it. The international community stepped in and established a safe zone for refugees. It took some convincing, but eventually the Japanese agreed to recognize the zone and to not attack the citizens living there. Uh, it usually does take some convincing not to attack innocent civilians fleeing the city. You know, it's like, I don't know, man. What's in it for me? The Japanese. Mm -hmm. On November 5th, the Japanese landed on the coastline to the south of Shanghai, hoping to trap the Chinese army. 
but it was too late. The majority of the army had escaped to the area west of the city, near Suzu Creek. Another brutal battle occurred there before the Chinese once again escaped west towards Nanjing under the cover of darkness. They would live to fight another day. The Battle of Shanghai was at its end. Over 180,000 Chinese soldiers were dead. According to the Japanese, they only lost 18,000 soldiers, but the Chinese say they killed over 90,000 Japanese. Historians debate on whether this was actually the first battle of World War II, but either way, the Japanese showed the blueprint for modern warfare was mechanization and mobility, which were two things the Chinese did not have. This would become apparent once more, only a month later when Japan took Nanjing and proceeded to rape and murder the citizens of that city. But that is a topic that is probably best left to a a history podcast that's somewhat less obsessed with making, you know, constant and repeated dick jokes. (laughs) End of story. Woo, we did it. They said we couldn't, but we told the story of the Battle of Shanghai. And so, that is it. That's all we have. Except for, I don't know, like four things. Four four little things that maybe you didn't know and you want to know. And we call those things the Fast Facts. Fast Fact number one. Zhang Zhizhong was the initial commander of the Chinese military, but the commander of the Shanghai area specifically was Feng Yuzhiang who was known as the Christian general because of his Christian beliefs and religious zeal. He was so devout that he ordered his troops to march to the tune of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and he carried out mass baptisms of his soldiers to the use of fire hoses. Fast Fact Number 2 Despite the Chinese having German advisors, perhaps the biggest followers of the Germans were actually the Japanese. Japanese military leaders were absolutely infatuated with Alfred von Schlieffen and the aptly named Schlieffen Plan, which had been implemented by Germany in the early days of World War I. Japan loved the idea of encirclement and pincer movements, and so that is exactly what they tried to use against the Chinese in Shanghai. Fast Fact Number 3 Although they suffered casualties, the residents of the international settlement lived life as if there wasn't a massive battle going on around them. They still had soccer matches, and they kept the movie theater and restaurants humming along. Still, they weren't completely immune to the fear and panic caused by war. When the municipal orchestra held an evening of classical music at the local theater, only two-thirds of the seats were full. War is hell. Fast Fact Number 4 During the battle, both sides held press conferences, but it was obvious that the press favored the Chinese. To fight this, the Japanese gave the reporters beer and whiskey, but found that the correspondents, especially the Americans, only became more belligerent and combative after they'd enjoyed a... uh, (laughs) few complimentary beverages. (laughs) All right, well, that does it for this episode. The first Battle of World War II, 
think we talked about that at the beginning. Uh, Greg feels like it is, and I kind of agree. He he swayed me like instantly with his brilliant mind, his his Russell Crowe writing on the windows. He's like, oh shit, he's right. It is World War Two. It is the quote. Yes, huh? Oh shit. <laughs> He's right. He got me. He got me again. That smart motherfucker. That's why he's the main host. And I am just your co-sexy host. And we thank you for listening to Hunter Proof History. We're all throughout 2022. We will be discussing World War II stories interspersed with other moments from history around the world. In the meantime, you guys can find us at 100 Proof History on all social medias. You can find us at 100proofhistory.com, and there you will find a link to our Patreon, where for just $3 a month, you get early access to new episodes and all sorts of old stuff. It's well over 100 pieces of entertainment that these regular humans do not get for their, you know, their freedom. You got to give us three bucks. You won't get that shit. But uh, it's $213,000 worth of entertainment. Let's put it that way. Yes, yes. That's the value. Yeah. And uh, you guys can get it for three bucks a month, and that is fucking crazy. We are just giving this shit away. They need to lock us up. We're <laughs> just fucking mad. We're madmen. <laughs> well, we thank you for listening. On behalf of Dan the Intro Man, Wolf Dick, our esteemed invalid producer, and that dickhead, Hambone, who showed up once again. I am your sexiest co-host, Chris. Main host, Gregory. What else? Goodbye, my love. The leader of China at this time was a dude named Shanghai. Shanghai, damn it. Cut <laughs> <laughs> <Got> himself again. <laughs> In the nearby Tongzhu. town of... Ta- huh? We're going to say Tongzhu. 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 Okay, I'll do Tongzhu. I don't care. Do what you want, bitch. No, you do Tongju. Do Tongju. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Doing with the Embarrass yourself. Just go ahead and make a fucking ass of all of us. <laughs> In the nearby town of Tongju, the Japanese pulled out the bulk of their troops to support military action around Beijing. He did it. He did it. <laughs> fucking idiot. <laughs> I like your boy pussy, too. I just couldn't stop my flow. <laughs> so let's get some boy pussy. <laughs> I, just got to, I was in the moment I'm sorry <laughs> I'm sorry I blacked out for a second <laughs> the Japanese raced back to the town where they beheaded every Chinese man they could, ca- could capture what'd you say about the Japanese race or like you get on to her and then she she starts beating herself up and she's like I'm the worst person ever I feel so bad like I've ruined where everything where she learned that from <laughs> Well, I mean, it's legitimate for me most of the time, so maybe it's legitimate for her. <laughs> I'm so stupid. So stupid. I should have done the outline three days ago, you fucking idiot. <laughs> Let's focus. You focus. Okay. I gotcha. That's what they called it. Yep. Yep. Good addition. <laughs> they called it. Yep. 
were sent on an all-out attack against fortified Japanese positions in an, in an offensive... Oh, 